Downloads of the show are available at Podomatic.com or the Podomatic mobile app. Hey kids, you are listening to Radio Free Brooklyn, and this show is Fish Out of Agua with Michelle Carlo. Today is Tuesday, December 26, 2017, and you know what that means? <laughs> it means it's the last Tuesday before New Year's. Yes, 2018 is almost upon us, and we have a very special show for you today. Well, not like the very special episodes of the after-school specials that you used to watch in the 90s, 80s, 70s. <clears throat> Never mind. <laughs> but we do have a holiday special for you with absolutely no holiday music. How cool is that? We're going to be bringing you the show that we did in conjunction with Footlights and Radio Free Brooklyn at the Footlight Bar in November with five excellent storytellers and five little mini interviews and we have a lot of stuff so we're going to get to it but before then this song by led zeppelin from led zeppelin 4 in 1972 which is how i feel about the year coming up yep when the levee breaks people are we gonna have a place to stay
And we're back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. Yes, that was When the Levee Breaks from Led Zeppelin's Led Zeppelin IV album back in 1972. And I'm actually playing one of my favorite songs this episode. Usually I play the favorite songs of the people that I've been interviewing, but I was like, yeah, it's the special holiday episode. I get to play one of my favorite songs. Actually, Led Zeppelin IV is one of my favorite albums of all time, too, except for that song, Stairway to Heaven. I don't know. I liked it back in the day, but like, I don't know when the expiration date is for that song to become cool again. I think that's the most played out song in history. (laughs) Hey, if you have a different opinion, you can email me at uh, fishoutofagua at radiofreebrooklyn.org. And now, the Fish Out of Agua holiday episode featuring Sidney Washington, David Hugh, Elana Lancaster, and Gaston Almonte. I don't know how many we're going to have time for in the time we have left, but we'll see who we can get in. Okay, so now it's time for my favorite part of the show. Whoa, whoa. So, you know, kiss, and then I get in a cab, 
And uh, something about just being with her, I was like, oh my God, like, this is different. Like, I really have some type of emotion of, of, for her that's not like just sexual. So I'm in the cab and I'm on my phone and you know, I'm just really into it. And then all of a sudden, my head flies into the partition of the cab, right? Like, a, you know, the Beyonce partition, it's kind of like that, um, except Beyonce and Jay-Z weren't there and like, I was bleeding and it was messy. Uh, so I hit my head on the partition. We just got in a car accident. It was a, it was a hit and run. My cab driver runs out of the cab, tries to get the license plate. I'm like, dude, it's a hit and run, he's gone. Um, but I was kind of stuck in the cab, so I couldn't get out. So I'm screaming, I'm yelling, my, my lip is bleeding. Uh, I don't have insurance, but like that's the main thing I was screaming. Like, I don't have insurance, how am I gonna fix if anything's broken? But I check and my teeth are all there, and I was like, great, woo, no worries. <laughs> so then I'm in, the, um, I'm in the cab and I'm trying to figure out like how I'm gonna get to the next spot. So I call up my emergency contacts. Emergency contacts, when you're in an emergency, they're supposed to be there. Called on my emergency contacts, none of them fucking picked up. I'm like, what are you here for? You know what I mean? And I even text them like, hey man, I got drugs and drinks, where you at? They still didn't even call, they still didn't pick up. Like I put the bait there for them to pick up, they would not pick up. So then uh, I had just left this girl that I'm seeing, and I was like, oh, I don't wanna be thirsty, and like call her in case of your murder. Like this is, I don't wanna do it, but I call her. Cause I, I was like, I can't go alone. I'm not going to the hospital alone. Also, I don't have insurance. So uh, I call her, she picks up on the first ring. And I was like, woo, you're thirsty. You are so thirsty. You're the type of emergency contact I need in my life. So, so she picks up, I'm screaming, I'm wailing, you know, I'm like, you know, I'm an actress, I'm a comedian. I, I was like, I have to really get into this damsel in distress. And, I'm, and she is like, okay, I'm on my way. You know, she gets, she's in a cab, she comes back to the city, she was already in Brooklyn. Um, and she gets to the scene of the crime. I'm crying and I'm fine. <laughs> I'm fine. I'm just. I just want to be dramatic so she know she needs to get her ass over here. So the ambulance comes because I do need uh, to get stitches because my lips is very busted. Um, so the ambulance come and I was really self conscious. Like I, I, I busted my lip. My my wig was lifted. It's. Cr I didn't feel like I looked good. Uh, but the ambulance came and they changed that. Uh, the, the guy gets out and he sees me and he's like, Mommy, why are you crying? You still look really, really good. You still look really, really good. And then he starts to touch me to make sure. I'm, he's like, I'm just touching you to make sure you're not broken inside. And I'm like, too late for that. That's been there. I've been broken. Um, I'm dead inside. So sorry. Uh, but then he, he checks me to make sure I'm okay. He's like, you gotta go to the hospital. We gotta go. And so um, the girl that I'm seeing gets in the ambulance with me and she holds my hand. You know when you're just like, you're vulnerable, you're bleeding, somebody's holding your hand, you're like, is this fucking love? This is weird. So we get to the, to the hospital and um, she's still by my side and I'm on the stretcher and the nurse is asking me all these questions. And you know, I don't wanna answer these questions. I, I wanna just lay here and be, you know, in, in pain and I just want somebody to tend to me. And so the girl that I'm seeing starts answering these questions for me like she knows my last name. I'm like, who told you my last name? <laughs> she, knew my she knew my address, my favorite color. I'm like, how you know all this stuff? You were stalking me 
Like, what's going on here? So she's dancing around these things, and then there was a point where I guess her and the nurse are going back and forth. And the nurse is kind of like, well, who are you? Who are you? Like, if you're not family or, you know, um, of, I guess, someone you're dating, you can't be here. You can't be in uh, the triage. And so Adrian, that's her name. I should have addressed her name. Adrian sits up and she's like, well, I am her girlfriend. And then I lift up, dry my eyes. I was like, what? What? Wait, hold on. Girlfriend. Wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like, I see what you're saying, but like, what, did you discuss that with me before you tell the nurse our business? Like, don't put me on the spot. So then the nurse is looking at me, like, is that true? I'm like, you gonna put me on the spot in front of her too? Like, I said, are they in cahoots? I feel like the nurse and this girl is trying to get me to commit to something that I wasn't ready for yet. But you know what? She picked up the phone on the first ring, she came here, like it's late, she got a cab, like she got all this stuff. She, she was also willing to like pay for some stuff. I was like, you know what, let me say yes. So I say yes, yes, this is my lady. We've been together for a minute. Like, I, you know, I was like, we got a dog. Like I started lying, cause I was like, you know, our dog Whiskers, I know it's crazy, we got a dog named Whiskers. Cause she really wanted a cat. So I started like adding shit to it. Cause I was like, oh, I wanna look, like a you know, cute couple. So then <laughs> so then we get all this stuff, I get the stitches. Um, I'm again I'm feeling all vulnerable because I was like, we've been in the hospital the whole time. She goes out, she comes back, I get uh they they let me go. She gets she comes back and she brings me a bacon, egg, and cheese. Listen. Are you trying to trap me right now? <laughs> Bacon, egg, and cheese. Like, that is the key, literally, to my heart. If you open up, my heart is nothing but cheese. Like, cheesy, bacon, you know, bodega. Listen, it got to be from a good bodega. It can't be from, like, a deli. That's not the same, okay? I need somebody in the back. There's a, I need a cat on top of the bacon, egg, and cheese, wrapping it for me. Like, that's what kind of sandwich I like. So she got this sandwich, and uh, we, we get in the cab. And I'm like, damn, this has been a hell of a night. Cause she's, she's been chasing me. She's, you know, she, she wants to be with me. She told the nurse that she wants to be with me. Um, you know, I'm a comedian. I'm busy. I'm gonna be on TV one day. So like, I'm thinking, I was like, do I really have time for this woman? And like, women are different from men. Like men, you, you don't have to talk to them all the time. Like, you know what I mean? You just need to let them know that, hey, I'm here. I'm still with you. A woman, you gotta talk like every day, and that's a lot for me. Um, so we in the cab. And she looks at me, I like take a bite of my sandwich, and she's looking at me, and she's like, you know, I said in there that I was your girlfriend, and like, I honestly just said that because, you know, the nurse asked who I was, and, and I didn't want to say that I was a friend, because that's not how I really feel. And I'm eating the sandwich, I'm like, okay. <laughs> and <laughs> she's like, so if you don't really want to be my girlfriend, you don't have to. So I'm eating the sandwich, I'm like, uh-huh. And then the cab driver in the back, in the front is looking like, okay, so what you gonna say? Like, everybody's waiting to see what I'm gonna say. I was like, can I finish my sandwich first? Like, I just got on the first half. So I put the rest of the sandwich in my mouth and I'm damn near choked. And I was like, no, you are my girlfriend. You are my girlfriend. And that's when I knew it was love. That's how I knew I was in love because I almost choked. Like that, that's, I feel like that's love.
you're almost choking. And we've been together for three years now, ever since. So, so happy to be with her. Thanks so much, guys. Oh. Uh -huh. 
And we're back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. That was Lion Babe with Satisfy My Love, which was a song that Sydney Washington picked for her episode. We're going to hear more about that in a second. And let's get back to Radio Free Brooklyn's Fish Out of Agua, the story show at the Footlight Bar, November 2017. Sydney Washington was on episode 18, the On the List episode of uh, Fish Out of Agua with Michelle Carlo. It was so much fun. Ah, thank you. And you don't have to say that, but I'm glad you did. No, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so um, when on the interviews, I we, we talked about our trajectories to becoming who and what we are today. So I have two short questions for you I'd like you to answer. Okay. One is, what? Uh, question one is, what was the exact moment that you knew you were going to take this path to become an artist? Ooh. Um, well, my friend had tape recorded me at work. Uh, a video recorded me and I didn't know about it and she put this compilation of like rants and like little jokes and bits that I would do late at work. She put it all together and she sent it to me and she's like, I think you're really funny and I think that you could do something with this. I, I really feel like you should pursue stand-up. And I saw the video and I was like, wow, I'm wasted. But I also was like, this is funny, this is funny. <laughs> I was like, wow, I'm really on a roll here. So I was like, I gotta try this when I'm not drunk at 5 a.m. And I took a class, and I want my money back. But, you know, everybody came, and they were like, you're really funny, you should still do it. And I was like, you know what? I'm gonna still do this. Wow, yeah. Yeah, that was like a happy accident. Yeah, it was. That's crazy. Literally, happy, it was a drunk, happy accident. So one last question. Yes. If you were to say one thing to the child that's sitting alone in their top floor tenement walk-up or their little back bedroom in this foot level house or walking on the side of the tracks or sitting looking at the ocean or looking at a garbage can or wherever they are who wants to be an artist but everybody is telling that they know is telling them that nah you can't. Oof. What would you tell them? Oof. Don't laugh. That kid, that kid was me. Don't laugh. Does not pay the rent up top but if you want to do something that makes you happy like you wake up every single day and you're like, wow, this fulfills me, I feel full, uh, you should do it. I mean, if, if this is something, if you're in the worst place ever, like you have no money, you have no food, your family hates you, and you get up, and you still do this one thing that literally pushes you to wake up in the morning, you gotta do it, you got to. Like, and it'll take you somewhere else eventually. Eventually. So if you're listening to this at your 14, ain't happening tomorrow. No. All right, thank you, Sydney Washington. Thanks for being held on the end. All right, please welcome my next storyteller to the stage, the illustrious, the erudite, the intelligent, and the always amazing, Susan Kemp! Yeah. 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 Hi. Uh, so, I grew up in this little town called Fitzgerald, Georgia, and it's a farming community in the south end of the state, and it was originally founded as a retirement community for Union soldiers after the Civil War. And because it had just been a few years since the war was over, the Union soldiers who were founding this community, they planned it all out and they decided to name all the streets after generals and 
battleships from the Civil War. And so there were all the Confederate soldiers and ships on one side of town, the Union were on the other side of town. And as the town began to populate, the community separated as well. So all the white people lived on the Confederate side of town and all the black people lived on the Union side of town. And it went on like this for years and all of this is to say that it was a really big deal that one of my best friends in high school was this black guy named Walt Graham. Because in my hometown you didn't cross those lines. We all went to school together but you didn't hang out. And Walt was part of my group and he and I were so close and we'd have lunch together every day in school and we would go to parties on the weekends and one of my favorite things with Walt was to flirt and to be real cute together because it would give all the rednecks something to like get angry about and we were just poking and I always thought it was so funny and I thought Walt was with me too until our senior year um, we were, I was listening to a radio program, one of my best friends had this show on the local radio station and it was a call-in show. So she would go in every week with her little box of singles because it was the 80s and she, everybody from high school would call in and dedicate songs. And I was listening and it was, this next one goes out to Susan Kent from Walt Graham and the song started and it was Bobby Brown. Ooh. And it was Every Little Step. <laughs> Which is a fantastic song, and but if you know it, which you do, of course, no matter what your friends try to tell you, we were made to fall in love. And I was like, oh my God, Walt, what's happened? And I call in because it's my best friend who's doing the show. And I was like, yo, uh, what's happening? She's like, I know, Susan, I don't know what to do. Because this show is going out to everybody in high school. And this is the kind of town that, like, I was looking into my front yard like, are there crosses burning yet? Because this is a problem. Because uh, <laughs> it was a problem. And I panicked and I was like, I don't, what do I do? And she's like, I don't know, Susan, but uh, he also told me when he called in that he's planning to ask you to prom. And I was like, which prom? Because <laughs> that's a question in my hometown. And it was a dumb question because obviously he was asking me to the black prom because Walt couldn't have gone into the white prom because it was at the Elks Lodge, and there's no blacks, no Jews into the Elks Lodge, and I froze for a minute because I didn't know what my next step should be because I love this man. He was one of my best friends, and I was terrified of the idea that this whole town was hearing him dedicate this song to me, and then the idea that he's gonna ask me to prom. I'd been to black prom, plenty of times, because that's what you do as a white kid in Fitzgerald, Georgia. You go with your white date to the white prom, you get your pictures taken, you dance the first couple of songs, and then you go to the black prom, where it's more fun and the music's better. <laughs> Every year. I went from eighth grade until my senior year, I went to the black prom, and it didn't hit me until a few years ago. What a fucking white privilege move that is because they couldn't come to our prom and I could just waltz in and I did every year just like, of course I can come in and I can do my thing. And so the idea that I was potentially gonna be the first white person at this prom as a guest was terrifying to me and so I didn't know how to tell Walt that 
didn't know how to turn my friend down, and so I just avoided him. And I didn't see him for a couple of months. So he didn't have a chance to ever ask me. Um, at the white prom that year, I was there with my white date. I had just done the first dance, and we had taken our pictures, and um, we were walking by the entrance, and it was these huge French doors, and you could see into the parking lot, and I look out, and Walt has just parked his truck in the parking lot and is walking up towards the door. And I stood there watching him as he's approaching, and then chaperones are going to meet him so to stop him, and they start talking, and it looks civil, but terse and a little tense. And at one moment, Walt gestures towards the doors and makes eye contact with me. And I'm staring in the eyes of my best friend, knowing what's happened before. And he stops, and I just waited. And in my head, I was thinking, just run away. Why are you here? What are you, gonna, what are you doing? They're going to hurt you. Somebody's going to hit you. Something's going to happen. People are going to be coming out. Why do you think you can just walk in here? That's not OK. And he seemed, I don't know. We were just looking. And um, as soon as he turned back to the chaperones, I ran away. And I didn't ever talk to him about it again. We ended up that summer going on our senior trip together, and we were just back as friends, but there was that elephant of us both knowing he had dedicated a song. I know he knew. I knew about the prom invite, and we just moved on with our lives, and that went that way for 30 years. We just didn't talk about it until last summer, and I was going home to Georgia, and I had been telling this story on stage for years in New York ever since I started storytelling, like it's such a good story. It's crazy that the proms are still segregated, still today, they're still segregated. And um, so I felt like it was time to let Walt know because I also have a problem not, I can't change the names, like I just, I have to tell the truth. And so I've told his, this story with his name so many times and I wanted to reach out. And so I met him for a beer at Ruby Tuesdays, as you do in South Georgia. And uh, it was great. Like, he walked in. I hadn't seen him in 30 years. And I told him that I had the story I was telling. And so we didn't get right into it. We just got into telling stories from the past and catching up on what he's been doing. He's a horse trainer now. And he had just recently poached an alligator and was really excited about that because he had it in the freezer ready to make some boots. And I was telling him about my life in New York. And, and eventually I said, you know, well, the reason I brought you here is because I've been telling this story. And I started telling him what I've been sharing. And I was like, is that what you remember? And he just, yep. And I was like, well, you know, it's been, I'm really sorry. I wanted to apologize to you. And I have felt really terrible as a person. And he was just like, yep. And so then I started panicking because it was like, oh, no, I'm, now I'm even worse. <laughs> Like, I've been carrying this, and oh, you poor white lady with your burden about feeling so bad about your friend, you know, and he's just like, yeah. So I just changed the subject, because I was like, oh, I fucked up. I fucked up. I shouldn't have done this. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Change the subject. We go back to talking about 
frog gigging or some sort of hunting thing that he had planned and um, I was going to a party later that night and I was like, well, I'm going to a party, why do you want to come hang out? And he's like, absolutely. Great. So we're leaving and he goes to hug me and it was this, one of those electric hugs where I was like, oh wait, I had never had feelings like him, like that with him before and it just like shocked me and I was like, okay. That was weird. Thought he was gonna kiss me. I was like, oh, and we leave. Because during this 30 years, I had decided that I had made up a lot of this because I thought, oh, have I inflated this? It was like a bigger deal in my head. And so we go to this party later that night and um, we're hanging out, we're drinking beers, we're looking at pictures from that senior trip we had taken. A whole series, he had taken an entire series of photos of my ass. <laughs> and I, it was a great ass in the 80s. I was like, whoa, I had no idea. Thank you all for doing that. I, but it was like reinforcing and validating that this story had happened, even though he wasn't giving me any feedback on it. We have drinks, we're hanging out, it's time to go. We both walk out by ourselves to our cars, and we're saying our goodbyes, and we're standing in my friend's yard outside his double-wide trailer on a dairy farm in Fitchville, Georgia. It's like the same scene that we've had years and years, me and this guy. And it just feels like my best friend is back, and we're hugging and saying goodbye, and I'm telling him how important it was for me to see him, and how grateful I am that he met with me, and he hugs me again, and it's electric. starts to walk around the front of his truck and he looks back and he's like, you know what, Susan? You were the love of my life. And my heart sank and my heart flipped and we said our goodbyes. We've now been in touch. Um, he calls me and checks in every once in a while and he's telling me that he might come visit me in New York City. And uh, I think it's really sweet and awesome, but I'm a little freaked out about it because of that whole gator poaching <laughs> thing that's going on with him. So, thank you very much. i 
take nothing but a memory from the house that built me. Mama cut out pictures of houses for years from better homes and garden magazines. Plans were drawn and concrete poured, nail by nail and board by board. Daddy gave life to Mama's dream. And we're back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. That was Miranda Lambert with The House That Built Me, a song that Susan Kent picked for her episode, episode 15, the Tell It Susan episode. And now, back to Susan Kent and Fish Out of Agua, Radio Free Brooklyn at the Footlight Bar. So we have Susan Kent here from episode, episode 15, the Tell It Susan episode. So what would you say were, would be, briefly, um, the greatest setback and the greatest triumph since you decided to become an artist? Well, the, the setback is easy. Um, I wrote a blog, uh, like everybody else did. Everybody has a blog, right? And uh, I did one where I talked about my mom and her drug addiction. Uh, only three people were reading the blog that I thought at the time. Uh, and then my mother found it, and it led to a couple years long estrangement, and to her eventually um, telling me that she never forgave me right before she died. So that was it. And so then, like, she died. Her last word to me was heartbroken. It was because of this blog that I had written. Oh my god, that's so fucking heartbreaking. Yeah. So triumph, triumph, triumph. Oh, <laughs> taking that, right. making, making because we, because your thing was like making treasure out of trouble, uh, 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 right? Yeah, yeah. The making, the making treasure out of trouble. So how did you make treasure? How out of heavy that? can we get? So yeah. So then that I took that story and turned it into my first solo show. Yeah, I did a solo show, show about how, what an asshole. 
asshole my mom was at the end of her life where she wouldn't forgive me. I was like, it was a blog post. I'm sorry. But not, but not only have you did you do that, you parlayed that into a producership at the Tank Theater where she produces a bunch of storytelling shows, most and at the Gotham Storytelling Fest, most notably the Dead Parents Club, yes. where people tell stories about dead mom and dead dad. So there you go. Yeah. Good story. She see? gave me a lot. Yeah, yeah, she yeah. She yeah, got yeah. me writing, and she gave me a lot of stuff hey, to write and about. When, when you see her again, she's going to smack you upside the head. She does every time. I she bet she does. Whenever I find a dime on the sidewalk, I know it's my dad, and it's good. Yeah. 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 So what was Cardinal. your... Yes, I think so. I really believe that the veil sometimes, you know, oh, passes, sure. and then... Oh, she's always with me. I'm yeah, yeah, lighting yeah. candles all the yeah, time. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, get yeah. out, get out, get out. So in closing, what would you tell that child that wants to do art or whatever their passion is, but is not getting any encouragement, doesn't have any anyone to emulate or any direction or where to go, and they don't know what to do. They just know that if they don't do, they will die. What would you tell that child? Do what keeps you from dying. If you need to do it to not die, if it's that passionate to you, just, it doesn't matter what other people say or what they think. I mean, it didn't matter what my mom thought with that blog. I needed to do it, and I, I was drawn, and it had to be published, and I don't know why, but it did lead to things that I understood much more clearly later. And so you just trust. You trust, and you do what you need to do. Life is so fucking strange sometimes, isn't it? Sometimes you have to leap, and the net appears, and you have no idea where that leap is going to take you. Yeah. Thank you, Susan. Thank Susan Kennedy, sweaters and corduroy pants from the Salvation Army. I know, I was ahead of my time. <laughs> but when I turned 17, I had an opportunity to go somewhere else. I wanted to go away for college. But because of my piss poor grades, I only got accepted to one school. State University of New York of Oswego. <laughs> when I arrived, I started fucking hating my life because I live with a bunch of douchey white frat guys that listen to Green Day. What a bunch of fucking American idiots. <laughs> One night, I'm laying in my bed, and I hear a knock on my door, and it's Aaron, the douchebag that lives down the hall. And he invites me to a party in his room, and I walk in, and it's a bunch of douchey white frat guys drinking beers, and listening to Green Day. Talk about diversity. <laughs> and Aaron hands me a bottle of beer. I never drank beer before, but once I took a sip of it, it tasted like shit. And Aaron's like, dude, what the fuck? Just keep drinking it. And after seven to eight beers, Aaron was right. I felt great. And Aaron's like, dude, you ever smoked weed before? I said, no, what's that? And he rolls me up a joint and he hands it to me. And I felt like I was walking on clouds. We're all laughing, giggling, just being a bunch of douchebags. And we all decide to go get some more beers at the bar. On our way there, we walk into a 7-Eleven. Oh my God, I'd never been to a 7-Eleven before. And I felt like I was in a bodega run by white people. 
And I got a bean burrito that evening because I never had Mexican food before, especially from 7-Eleven. When we walked into the bar, I felt this immense pain in my stomach and I needed to use the bathroom. Unfortunately, the stalls were broken. And I tell myself, okay, I don't want to take a shit in my pants because it's not a socially acceptable thing to do when you're a freshman in college. So I go out to the back of the bar, it's pitch black, and I squat down, and my ass just exploded. I have my hands on my face, and I'm shaking my head like it's a fucking Great Depression in 1928. And I just tell myself over and over again, when is this shit going to end? Then I feel this bright light in my face, and I think it's the cops or the owners, and I'm going to get my ass kicked. And I lose my balance, I fall flat on my ass. I look around, there's no one there, but I still feel that bright light in my face. I soon realize I took a shit under a motion sensor. The moral of the story is that when you try to act like a douchey white frat guy that listens to Green Day, you're going to end up looking like a fucking American idiot. You're going to fall flat on your ass, your own pile of shit. <laughs> And we're back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn. David Hugh was on episode 16, the Happy Accident episode. And let's get right back to the rest of his interview on Fish Out of Agua with Michelle Carlo at the Footlight on Radio Free Brooklyn. What uh, would you say, out of all the transitions that you've had, because you, you, you're kind of like a... I wouldn't say a chameleon, because chameleon like changes their colors, and kind of like changing your colors has a connotation of like being like false. But you've shed your skin, like like a snatch of good one, or like a crab, you know, like like a crab, like a, a okay. Our, our next performer is like laughing. Wait till like you get up here next. So you 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 you've transformed like a phoenix several times. So what do you think was the hardest the hardest uh, obstacle that you had to face? in on the road to becoming an artist, the hardest obstacle that you had to face? I think uh, definitely it was a fear of public speaking. That was pretty much my Achilles heel, and I tried everything to overcome that fear. And it's funny, because storytelling was a remedy that helped me become more confident and more of a outspoken speaker. And you're so natural and good now. And like, how, 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 do you, how would you compare yourself now to where you were like, three, four years ago. Night and day. Night and day. So there's David before and David after. Woohoo! Thank you. Would you say that? Yeah. All right, so I have to ask this question. What do you say to the child in the room, writing in a notebook, painting a picture, looking at themselves in the mirror, knowing that they want to be something more than what society or their family or their school is telling them they have the right to believe they could be? What would you tell that child? Gotta go against the grain. You know, sometimes you can't be a follower. You gotta be a leader. Stand on your own two feet. Come in the air! You 
We're back with Fish Out of Agua on Radio Free Brooklyn, and that's our show. That is part one of the special holiday episode from The Footlight with David Hugh, Sydney Washington, and Susan Kent, all of whose episodes from the past uh, couple of months are available for listening and or download on Podomatic and the Podomatic mobile app. We're going to close with a song that David Hugh, the ex-skate punk finance bro turned storyteller around town, picked for his episode. Uh, yeah, from episode 16. This is going to be Green Day with Jesus of Suburbia. Please stay tuned to Brooklyn Dan- for Brooklyn Bandstand next. And we'll see you next week. And when we see you next week, it's going to be a new year. Happy New Year, everybody. Yes, we don't know what's going to happen in 2018 because it's uncharted territory for everyone, of course. But on behalf of myself and Radio Free Brooklyn, I wish everyone a 2018 full of health, abundance, and delight. And now enough of me, and back to some punk or green. Fix. Sitting on my crucifix, I'll